Hello and welcome to the big show. This is Dim Lights and Stiff Drinks, the dive bars of Seattle. We were interested in those watering holes, taverns, and neighborhood bars with a long history and an interesting backstory. As always, we're not recording this in four different places, are we? No. No, no. negative. We are recording this in one place, and that would be the <laughs> bar that we are partying at. Live on location. That's right. We record live and push the boat out in the places where future regrets are made and bad decisions happen. This week, we are at Fiddler's Inn in Wedgwood. Thank you to the house band, Satan's Pilgrims, for starting the party off right. Please like, share, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. Any support for the podcast is much appreciated. Now, let's say hi to the crew. Dim Lights is a Bob Trombley production, and here driving the bus is uh, producer supreme Bob Trombley. Okay, now. How's everybody doing? <laughs> <laughs> We're doing good. We're doing good. To my right is resident uh, Swords Gourmand, J to the Izzo. Jeremy, mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. your uh, nickname tonight? Um, how about MC Barrel Aged? <laughs> no, it's not MC Plenty? Shh, shh, shh. All right. <laughs> Across from me is resident historian Brad. How you doing tonight, Brad? Hello, everybody. I'm Sweet Lou, and I'm thrilled to be here. Because it's my first time here. How about you guys? Anybody been in here before? I have been here before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a couple times. I'm, yeah. I'm oh, nice. Yeah. I'm stone's throw, uh, you know, up the street here. So we've been been cruising down here for a couple of times over the years. Yeah. And it's right in your wheelhouse. They take their tapless seriously. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Yeah. Interesting choices tonight, mm-hmm. for sure. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about this beer they have on tap called Plenty the Elder, which was on our bucket list. We were going to have a episode it at a bar be on that served beer plenty. drinker's bucket list absolutely yeah you go to yeah. a beer advocate and it's got 14,000 five star reviews it's the best beer of all time <laughs> i ordered the bartender was me like it's not the best beer of all time shut up everybody says that like, calm down <laughs> there is no such thing as the best beer of all time yeah that's right that's, that's exactly what the bartender meant so good for him <laughs> <laughs> right on right on so uh brad This place has been a bar since 1933. Correct. And Prohibition wasn't repealed until December 1933, but in April, the Colin Harrison Act was signed, which allowed people to make low-octane beer. That's correct. And so I'm guessing this bar is probably on the short list of taverns that got the first liquor licenses in Seattle. Is that? I believe so. Yeah, I believe you're right about that. Is that right? If you could uh, tell us a little bit about the illuminate history of the you bar, under the history, illuminate me. Well, question: Is there fiddling? There might be some fiddling involved. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't, I don't know how you were able to, you know, guess that, but it's a good guess because yes, there is fiddling involved. That's not a good involved. sound bite for this episode. There's <laughs> fiddling involved. Yeah, <laughs> and and that pertains to Lou, by the way. There's no fiddling on my part. It's all all the fiddling is uh, with Lou. Yeah, my hands are under the table. Get ready, boys. <laughs> Sweet mother fiddling root loo. <laughs> All right, so the story of the Fiddler's Inn is really the musical story of the man who started this tavern, and that man is Walt Haynes. Walt Haynes grew up on a farm in the Midwest, but from a very early age, music was always his true passion. He played a wide range of musical instruments, everything from various horns to the fiddle, and his life's dream was always to make it in the world of music and entertainment. In the early 1920s, Walt left home at the age of 15, intending to make it to Hollywood to begin a life in showbiz, but ended up landing in Seattle. It was supposed to be a stopover for him, but his ability to play a variety of musical instruments helped land him various various gigs, 
And at the ripe old age of 16, he joined an orchestra that played at Seattle's Olympic Hotel. Nice. Uh, it's a yeah. high-profile gig. At 16 years old. It's the fanciest hotel in town for our listener who doesn't live here. Yeah. yeah. Like, I could barely make it to school when I was 16. This guy's going across <laughs> the country and landing a gig with an orchestra. So, yeah, props to him. Um, it's not known exactly why Walt never made it to Hollywood, but the music and the entertainment scene was lively in Seattle in the 1920s, so Walt found plenty of work. Walt enjoyed a successful career as a professional musician in Seattle until the Great Depression hit in the 1930s. Because of the Depression, people no longer had money to go out for music and entertainment, so jobs in the music business dried up and were increasingly hard to find. It was also around this time that Prohibition ended, as you were mentioning, Lou, and Walt observed that a lot of people were opening up beer parlors, so he decided to try it himself. Thus, in 1933, the Fiddler's Inn was born, the name, of course, being a tribute to his love of music. Walt actually built the Fiddler's Inn himself. There's two rooms, or at least there were originally two rooms in the back where he and his family lived. And we've covered a couple, a few places yeah. over the last few years of taverns where... Yeah, Echo Lake Tavern? Echo Lake Tavern. Mm-hmm. Daryl's Tavern, that crazy mafia guy lived above it. Yep. I want to yep. say somewhere else, too. Daryl's, that was just his uh, pied-a-terre where he'd make his <laughs> yeah. domar. Yeah, I think so. Uh, too much French. Too much French. So Walt, uh, after it opened, he hired a bartender named Sid, who was also a musician, and lived just a few doors away from here. Walt and Sid were a real show business team, and they used to play music for the customers. It was during this time that Walt started using spoons as a musical instrument to help keep things musically entertaining, and evenings at the Fiddler's Inn were often spent with everyone joining in for song and dance. Is he, is he the spoon man? He's the original spoon man. So he created, he was the first one to start using spoons as a musical instrument. Which Every, is a weird the, the sound garden spoon man? No, that's another no, one. No, that's, a, diff- get to that's that. a different spoon you're, man. You're jumping ahead. Yep, okay, okay, okay. Artemis, is that that guy's name? But Thank you. Nice. Thank you. So, yeah, back back to what we always say, everything started in Seattle. That's including right. Including the musical spoons. We invented, spoon we invented, we invented spoons. Invented fiddlers. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, he, he took the spoons really seriously, include, especially in the 1950s when he began developing his musical spoons as a business. And in 1958, he patented them and began appearing on the Lawrence Welk show under the name Mr. Spoons. Mr. Spoons. So he was legit. I mean, if you're on the Lawrence Welk the show. Spoon Man. Yeah. You yeah. Just probably no, Mr. Spoons. YouTube that, our listeners. Probably. There probably are YouTube clips of them, I would imagine. I'd be surprised if there weren't. Uh, this no, can, no, nobody grew up watching Lawrence Welk, man. No, no. It I watched it with my grandparents. When I would stay at my grandparents, they would watch it, and I would watch it with them. Lawrence Welk. But you at least watched a couple episodes at some point. The bubbles and stuff, and it you was, know what I'm talking it about. It was in the dead zone after football, before uh, Yeah, it was usually Animal on, like, Kingdom Saturday, on, right? It was Lawrence Welk. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great show, but not nearly as good as the SNL parodies of that great show. Right. So anyway, this, this whole thing with Spoons continued in the early 60s. When the World's Fair opened up in 1962, for instance, Walt set up a sales booth at the fair and spent the next six months uh, selling, selling spoons? musical spoons to the tourists. Wow. And I guess All he right. did, a pretty good, you know, did pretty good business. It was soon after this that he reportedly sold the Fiddlers in to focus on his music career, which had always been his true passion. Do you think Walt had, like, 
different levels of spoons. They had like the entry level musical spoons, and then like the pro level. I like, don't know, man. You know, more more like tunes. The ones and, he busted out when he went on Lawrence mm-hmm, Welk. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Like practice spoons. Yeah, yeah. Practice yeah. ones that are kind of cheaper. And, and maybe a pair of if his friends were coming over and he wanted to show them, you know, like the, yeah. kind of the middle spoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some like yeah. gold-plated ones with some, you know, etchings in it. You think and he went pretty plated. pimped out on it? I think so. You think so? Yeah. Let's go with that. We're we talking like gems, diamonds. <laughs> what, what are we talking? Dazzled spoons. Dazzled spoons. Yes. Yes. If my kid wants to get into spoons, he's starting up the. I'm just going to say, grab some from the silverware drawer. And yeah, then if you're, and then if you really take it seriously and do your practice, then we'll I'll talk get you about some it. Lawrence Welk gold plates. <laughs> yeah, the the first act entry level spoons. Yeah, yeah, and then you work your way up to like the Yamaha. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. then finally you get your Fender. <laughs> so this is a quick side note to all the spoon talk, though. So during this period, when Walt was actually marketing his musical spoons, a Seattle area mother purchased a pair at a local five and dime store and brought them home to her son, who immediately fell in love with them. Artemis? And taught himself the art of spoon playing. He would later become a busker at the Pike Place Market, mm-hmm. where he played spoons for appreciative tourists. And in the 1990s, Soundgarden would write a song about him. And who are we talking about, Lou? Spoon, spoon Man. Artists. Artists the Spoon Man. With your plan. Yeah. Did you guys ever see him at like the Pike Place yeah, Market? Yeah, I did. Me too, yeah. yeah I did. Yeah. I mean, yep. Back in the 90s. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Like, he was entertaining as hell. He did he a good job with them. Very good. He jammed with the spoons. Yeah, very yeah. good. He got very down. As but weird I, as the spoons are as an instrument, he, he knew how to play I'm them. I'm a little concerned that he got his spoons at a five and dime, right? So well, that was his those original. Like, was those some shitty knockoff spoons? That well, those were the ones that the small not, not was selling. Oh, really? The yeah, five and dime. The cheap selling, ones, huh? Yeah. Like mm. He had, had oh, marketed So they were legit. They were legit. Right. They were sold at stores everywhere. You got Woolworths to pick, pick yes. up his line. Yeah, that kind of five and dime, not Goodwill. They got him at uh, Woolworths. Or, yeah. Yeah. I see yeah. an interest spark in Jeremy about these spoons. <laughs> I, I I sense a Google search after the episode's over and maybe an order being nah, placed. He's <laughs> left some money on the table. He just needed to go up market. <laughs> yeah, cater to the wealthy musicians that are looking for the esoteric instruments. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so back to this place. So after Walt sold the place in the 1960s, the Fiddler's Inn went through a series of owners, and over the ensuing years, it reportedly fell into a state of deep disrepair. I guess it became a biker bar. It was a true dive. There was even a lot of talk about just demoing the place and building something else. But in 1994, a new group took over ownership, and the main guy that was part of this group worked really hard to restore the old tavern back to its original rustic charm that we see today. Mm-hmm. So today the Fiddler's Inn continues to operate as a local gathering spot where folks come to enjoy fresh cooked food, craft beers, and guest musical performances. So uh, the same owner, the guy that bought it in 94 and restored it, still owns it to this day. I was just talking to a bartender about it. And I guess he's like really into, was into architecture and yeah. restoration restoration and things like that so you can see it here i mean this is yeah and it doesn't really cool look like a fresh restore like all the sort of benches and booths there's chips and it's yeah. worn and it looks yeah. like it, it, it's not yeah. a, it's not, not it a swanky remodel this it's is not like swanky but it's warm and cozy it's exactly rustic. and it clearly clearly and an eye to the original architecture and yeah. an eye to the what you know what was here originally but you can see like little hints about yeah how, like yeah, I can totally imagine how that this place was dilapidated and about to like fall in yeah. on itself, and somebody came in and said, "Well, we could probably fix this up." <laughs> well, I guess he didn't when Walt built it, because you know I mentioned he built it himself. He didn't put a, a foundation in it. 
oh. whatever reason, so that had to be remedied back in the early so 90s. So it's got a little cabin feel. It's starting to sell. There's a big slope to the it floor. It doesn't feel like it. I don't see any weird <laughs> slopes here, but maybe. Don't, don't put an egg on the floor. <laughs> so that is the story of the Fiddler's Inn. It doesn't have any crime stories, scandals, or any seedy history. Nothing? Rather, it is simply an old drinking establishment that is directly tied into Seattle's musical past. Well, I find that hard to believe. If you said this was a yeah. biker bar where they almost took the place to the ground, yeah, there's got to be some no, crime blotter. I, I, I searched far and wide, and the, 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 the most scandalous thing I could find is back in 1948, they lost their liquor license for a week because an uh, underage person was served beer. And so they you know, took their li- liquor license away for a, a All week. All right. Satan's yeah. Pilgrims, a- play the police song anyway. 1948. <laughs> yeah. Now Almost about, lost our liquor license that's about for serving the, beer to a minor. The biggest infraction of, at this place. Yeah. Amazing. Huh. And here we are now. This place is pretty good size, you know, got and, yeah. and a relatively small bar, which is a little unusual for our typical dive bar haunts, right? Yeah. Usually they're bar forward with like a little bit of space left over for other crap, right? This is kind of the opposite. It's got, it's got a big, almost a restaurant feel to it, lots of tables and stuff like this. But it is 21 and over, right? So Correct. it's a great example of how they could change stuff around if they wanted to make it all ages they serve food wouldn't be a problem yeah it has a kind of a restaurant but but no they chose to stay true to their roots and remain a 21 and up that's a good point it's a simple fix they just have to put a little barrier between the bar and the restaurant could do it but decided not to yes that's a good question get the fuck out what under 21 what would a place like this have to do if they wanted to become all ages like literally what I just said, put a barrier yeah. between the bar and the seating the bar restaurant the area. Is that it? Yeah, yeah that's Is that it. it. Okay. Why though? What what does that change? Really? Nothing. Well, you keep all the annoying ass kids out of here, right? <laughs> right. It's a place to party down. It's not a place. To <laughs> but that is a weird rule, right? Like, if you just build a wall between the bar and here, suddenly it can be all ages. Like, what does that really change? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Welcome well, to Washington. I mean, you know, know, you know better than any of us, right? There are all sorts of stupid ass old legacy laws on the books sure. that say if you want to serve liquor, you must do this stupid ass shit from 1940 or whatever, sure, right? Now, sure. walls and barriers and lines and the Zion curtain and all sorts of crap. You got to close at a certain time. Oh, yeah. and serve this food and yeah. No, seriously, that's a thing. Or no, it's a, a perfect example is you know, remember the is the Elysian Tap Room on Capitol Hill still open? Uh, uh yeah. Sure. Is it, it is. But anyway, that's all ages and our friend Bill who was a beer distributor for many years, it's because the tap lines go up through the ceiling actually. Oh, is and that their... That gives them an out. That's their out? Yeah. Okay. Which sounds you, We don't want the kids crazy. to have to see the tap lines, because that, yeah. like, well, that would corrupt think them. Think about what crazy their, shit their kids are mind. watching on their phones now, but we don't want them to see a keg of beer. <laughs> like, think about the children. Yeah. What a weird world we live in. And no cleavage. Absolutely oh, not. Oh, no. Hell no. no. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of outdoor seating here. They've, yeah. And it doesn't look like it was COVID-built. This is... Uh, Probably been there. Yeah, nice forever. little, nice little patio. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a pop-up with uh, PVC and uh, 
picnic tables. It's actually looks like part of the bar, but it's outside. Completely cool. plastered with beer and cider signs, which is always a plus. Always a plus. Yeah. Now might be a good time for us to talk about what are we drinking because... Uh, yeah, as we mentioned previously, uh, Choices here. Fiddler's Takes Her Tap list seriously. They have yeah. Plenty the Elder, which if you go to Beer Advocates, got 15,000 five-star reviews, supposedly one of the best beers in the country. One of the best beers and in Lou the, and world. I the world. Each got a glass tonight, our first ever that we're excited about. Yeah. And uh, I think we're in agreement about this, right, Lou? That Yeah, yeah. the beer festival line. Yeah, it's, it's good, but it tastes like 20 other IPAs that I've had, you know, if not more. It's There's some people that be like, that's fighting words, boy. But why? There's nothing that really stands out about it. And I'm not no, dissing the beer. It's, it's a true. good beer. Yeah. But I'm just kind of baffled as to why, how it became so legendary because it's, there's nothing to me that really elevates it to that status. Well, you know, I think, I think we need some guests on the podcast that can talk about the what you just described is a phenomenon of like you know the mystique of certain beers right sure but it yeah. also happens with like the mystique of certain wines uh certain bourbons certain whiskeys certain you know anything you can think of there's yeah copper absolutely river. Yeah. yeah the copper river salmon's coming in and it's like oh my what, God. 60 dollars a pound <laughs> yeah no no it doesn't it's yeah. good salmon but but I, you are totally right. You are Happy Van right. Winkle, five hundred. Exactly. I've exactly. never had Happy, but I imagine it's. I bad. Yeah, I imagine it's the same. Let's bring in somebody who some. is a super super snooty, like wine snob, whiskey snob, bourbon snob, or something State like that, case. to explain like why the hell you would spend five hundred bucks or more, or you know, way more in some cases for like a bottle of X, Y, and Z. Because yeah. you know, the, the same thing applies to beers. Certain beers have the mystique. Plenty the Elder has a, a huge reputation, like you said. Well, people Considered lose one of the best their the world, minds literally, over right? it. Yeah. A Beerlier? Yeah, so they might be a good source to consult with about this. Yeah. All right, all right. So we'll do an episode over there, or we'll bring them on, you know, special guests for another episode or something, right? Yeah, that would be fun. So I I talked about how my name for this episode, MC Jay Planning. Yeah, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Jay the Elder. AKA the Elder. AKA uh, MC Barrel H. Right, and and the reason I said is, is. not because Plenty the Elder is a barrel aged, although I believe Russian River has a barrel aged version of it, super, super limited release, like good luck, super expensive, whatever. But they don't have this, you know, Fiddler's Inn does not have a barrel aged on tap, which I thought was a little unusual because they're super popular right yeah. now, right? Like even some of the, the dive bars that we've been to recently that have a very, very limited tap selection, they might have like a barrel aged on tap, which is, and it's just kind of a, uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a Northwest, you know, Pacific Northwest phenomenon with kind of beer snobs around here. Like even the dive to dive bars is going to have something, you know, pretty high, highfalutin. Yeah. When we recently came across the sour, that's we talked right. about in a recent. Yeah, so you know, we're coming right. across certain ones that are popping yep. up. Yep. Well, do you S- know what sour, don't sour on tap here? here? What? No Georgetown. 
Wait, when it comes first off being Rubens, you're right. I know. No wow. Manny. I'm okay with that. No I'm okay with that. No Johnny no, Utah. No dig against George Shell. Hmm. They're a great brewery, but I'm okay with yeah. having a place you've that does have. taken over the world. Look, yeah. You don't, you're going to hear this and be like, what doesn't have our beer? <laughs> Sales guy, get your ass up there. Get over there now. I would, say, <laughs> I would say the top list here is more carefully curated. Definitely. You can tell whoever has put together this top list knows their stuff. Yeah, this is this and, is a, know, a, a premium like somebody yeah. somebody who knows their beers is is putting this putting this tap list together yeah. for sure. No. <laughs> Yeah, and, and no drinking, dog, to that to that point, n- no super shitty beers. Do you stip- typically see in uh, you know there's no know, Rainier, Coors Light, or whatever? And I'm, I'm, per- I'm personally I'm fine with that. Others others would be like, oh hell no, I'm leaving, right? Yeah. But to your point, no Georgetown, but probably the closest I would say would be a Rubens, right? So yeah. Rubens brews. You can uh, get that at Walgreens. However, what is on tap here at Fiddler's Inn is a Rubens Goss. Which is pretty damn close to, like you said, a sour. Yeah. Very kind of esoteric, acquired taste beer. So just perfect example of that. This is a very curated list for, for real beer lovers. But what's in your cup? Yeah, I was just going to ask that Well, too. you know, you two mofos are drinking the Russian River Plenty the Elder. We're drinking Jay Good the Good for you. Plenty. That's right, Jay the Plenty. <laughs> 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 I decided to uh, I'll work my way up to Plenty the Elder. I started off with something uh, um, a little different. It is uh, Watts Brewing uh, Pollen Bubbles IPA. It's a hazy IPA, which, again, very, very popular style right now. Lots of hazies just about everywhere we've been over and the last year. Who did year. you say the, the brewer was? Watts. Watts Brewery. Where are is they it, located? They are they're in, located in Watts, uh, central, south central Los yeah, Angeles. Are they Watts from California? Like, no. No, okay. I think they're in Woodinville. <laughs> well, Russian River is Russian River from California. They are. Yeah, yeah they're okay. they're down in the um, it's kind of Bay Area. Valley. Yeah, up above the Bay Area. That's right. Yeah, but it, to to your point, you know, really finely curated list. I would say kind of hyper local, which a lot of the a lot of the dive bars we've been to, you know, they got the local beers, they got the Rubens, they got the yeah. uh, Georgetowns and the stuff like that. But um, we're going we're going. Pretty far afield. I'm seeing, like you said, you got the uh, the Russian River out of California. We got some um, Oregon beers. Got Bowie and Matchless. We got one that I'm gonna have to do a little bit of research and figure out where the heck these guys are. Magirup Irish Red. I have to. I'll have to get back to you for for the episode about the history of that one. I'm not familiar either. So we'll do a little research and get back to our listeners. I think it's from Ireland. Let's go with that. Starts with a make. It's. Uh, we got one, a couple of my favorites, uh, Black Raven over in Woodenville again, and, and Rogue yep. Brewery. Nitro Stout on tap, which is always a winner. Always a winner. Nice. Yeah. Some good choices for sure. So yeah. yeah, I'm excited to get round two. Uh, Absolutely. I don't You're, know if I should get another Jay the Elder or well, mix it up a little really bit. really kind of depends on how much you liked it, right? When I looked it up online, the beer that I was most excited to try isn't here, and it was called... Uh, Liquid Swords, the Four Chambers. Oh, really? <laughs> a Wu-Tang reference? Yeah, totally Wu-Tang reference. Okay. Wow. Giza, Liquid Swords. I would have absolutely and, uh, avoided that beer. Enter the Wu-Tang yeah. 36 Chambers, but th- th- they're out of it. They sold out because it's probably so awesome. So I'm Fun fact, if somebody's listening to this episode fresh when it just dropped, Wu-Tang coming to concert here in Seattle. Are they? Yeah, a couple of months. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, Nas. Oh wow. Yeah. And where's that going to be? Uh, more. 
Well, there's a lot of good shows coming up. I mean, Depeche Mode, Hell yeah. Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Are you, and you're Who's seeing... going to Depeche Mode and Peter Gabriel? Or no, I'm, I'm going to The Cure. Yeah, we got The Cure coming. I think I'm going to try to Barbara got tickets, tickets for, Gabriel. for both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of good lots of good music coming. There is. And then Bumper Shoot the lineup just dropped today. Did you guys see that? No, who's who's uh kind of the big Oh names? god. It's like Sunny Day Real Estate, The nice. Descendants, um, It's like old school Seattle. Yeah, list. yeah. And that's nice. what a lot of people are excited about cuz nice. so like in the past 10 years they dropped the lineup and everyone's like, "Who are these bands? I've never heard of them before." <laughs> At least if you're over the age of 30. This though, they're they're more targeting it towards like the Gen X and the Millennials and there's some good bands. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Sleater Kinney. Nice. Um, some good punk. Yeah. It's a good lineup. Old school bummer shoot. It's about time we brought it back. Exactly. And tickets are too. only $700. No, that's the thing this year. They wanted to get away from that, like yeah. paying for Kanye West to come play a bumper shoot. Right. And it's like. I think, they're, I think it's like $50 a day, which yeah. is in today's right. day and age, it's, okay. it's pretty reasonable. Right. It's yeah. free. That's practically yeah. free. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go get round two. Yeah. And we're going to let Brad eat his. You got a roast, yeah, roast like beef a sandwich or there? Very, some pub fare. Nice. All right. Satan's <laughs> Pilgrims, take us out. We're back for round two here at Fiddler's Inn in Wedgwood. As you can hear, the place has gotten a little louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crowd's starting to come in. Cut off tonight at seven o'clock at Thursdays. Come on up to Fiddler's Inn. There's live music yeah, every Thursday. Yeah, live band setting up right now as we and, speak. Uh, yeah, there's a speaker like uh, five feet from Brad's head, so <laughs> that thing's gonna kick in. It's gonna kick in hard, and we'll be out of here. So uh, we did get round two. Jeremy, what's uh, what's in your cup? Well, uh, th- this is a, a, a good one, right? So, A, it was a Rubens, like we were talking about just before we took the break here. But the style of beer is G-O-S-E. No, don't, don't say it. Don't say it. G-O-S-E. Take all the listeners, for t- take a second to, to think to yourself, how is that pronounced? Because I had a great conversation with the bartender about how G-O-S-E, the style of beer, is pronounced. A lot of time on your hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. But a lively conversation. It was fun. The bartender was very adamant about the correct pronunciation of the beer. So let's all take a crack at it. Jeremy, you tell us the right. Brad, how do you say it? G-O-S-E. Style of beer. I don't know. Honestly. Say a word. No, it's not pronounced. Ghost. I don't know. Ghost. Okay, ghost. Ghost or goeys, like a gooey duck or something. Sure. I'm okay. goose. Goose. Okay. Goose. Ghost. Goey. Okay, so the bartender first said, well, the correct pronunciation is gosse. Gosse. Gosse? Gosse. And I was like, are you sure about that? He's like, yes. Very adamant. Like, I know it's correct pronunciation is gosse. And I was like, okay, well, I know from experience I love this style of beer, but if you ask three different people about how it's pronounced, you're going to get three different answers. And all three of them are going to be like, no, 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 the correct pronunciation is goosey or whatever the fuck, right? Goosey. So... Gosse, and so I, 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 you know, but bartender and I were going back and forth, and I challenged the bartender, and I was like, "How do you know that?" It's like you, you obviously are very sure about your whatever. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna question your authority here, but I'm saying, how do you know? And he's like, "Well, let me see." And he whips out his phone, of course, pulls up Google, and he's like doing all this kind of stuff. So he's like, "Hmm, apparently Google says it's ghosts." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, it's either ghosts or gose, depending on whether you believe Bing or Google. <laughs> or Bingle. Or Bingle. So I, I was actually quite impressed with the bartender, who clearly knows his stuff, had a contribution to the tap list that we were just discussing. So this is a, this is a beer guy, but he was you know, willing to say, okay, I thought it was X, but... Google says it is something, you know, a little different. So, gosse to goss? I don't know. I think the I think our listeners should chime in on what they think. G O S E. Well, well, it is a you? delicious beer. It is a sour family of beer. Gosses are uh, 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 a Belgian style coming over uh, a sour style from from Belgium. It's um, quite delicious. This is the Rubens. I've had it before. Very yeah. good. Uh, it's pretty darn sour. It is definitely an acquired taste. Lots of people will drink this and be like, "Oh my god, it's it's like it's gone bad." What the hell are you drinking, right? No, it's like that. It's intentional that way. Kind of like an extra hoppy IPA. Some people taste it and be like, "Yeah, it tastes like dishwater." It's like, well, no, I I love it. It's an acquired taste. As a side note, can I tell you a little story? We talked about uh, sours when we were at um, which was it Fifth or was it? Yeah, Old Fifth Avenue. That's yeah, right. Old Fifth. That's right. And we were joking about, oh, you just take the dust from the trolley gummy worms and throw it in a beer? <laughs> Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids. I did that. Oh, no, did you? you did not. Yeah. Oh. For science, oh, what was my the results? God. It's not dissimilar. Oh. I'm not surprised to hear that, actually. Yeah. More importantly, what, what, what color did it turn the beer? Uh, well, it was white uh, pixie dust, so not, not too different. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Made your own, you made your own gosse. I made my own gosse. Nice. Pennies on the dollar. <laughs> well, Follow me go. for more recipes. <laughs> take, right. some, take some Bud Light, put in some Sour Patch Kids, and got you, say, a snooty beer. <laughs> there you go. You heard what it here you, first. What did you get for round two, Brad? So, I got the Matchless Lager, mm. and I really like it. In fact... May I be so bold as to say I like it more oh, than Pliny oh, the Elder. Oh, oh, I know. We oh, just lost like half of our fans. I know. I know. Sacrilege. But, yeah. No. But I've been getting uh, into uh, lagers props, a lot more yeah, lately. Props, I got kind it's of, a good beer. It is a good beer. And, you know, I've gotten kind of burned out on IPAs. I still like them, but just not all the time. So yeah. I've kind of been drawn more towards lagers and appreciating them more lately. And this is a damn good lager. So thumbs so up. So the bartender described that as a check style lager. It's a what style? Czech style okay. lager. Okay. Yeah. Uh, similar to kind of the German Pilsners, but uh, their Czech, Czech version of it. Sure. So you yeah. like it? I do like it a lot. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. All right. I got the uh, E9 Brewing. It's called Michelle is a Gamer. Michelle is a Gamer. Which I got because it reminded me of Sheena's a punk rocker. So <laughs> I couldn't stop. And what's the verdict? Uh, delicious. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I might Great. say it's good name for a beer. better than I'm not gonna. Mm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, say it. It's better than Plenty of the Elder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the best beer in the world. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, it is Eye do? of the Beholder. Yeah. And Bob, yeah. you've got a uh, Wine Hearts root beer? Henry, a, cl- a classic. A classic, for sure. That is a Henry classic. Wine Hearts. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's out the verdict of, uh, on that one? Portland. Five out of five stars. Nice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bob's favorite root beer. Mm-hmm. All right. Away we go. So uh, you guys want to talk about where we're at? This is, this is now this is Wedgwood, but we're, are, are we kind of like on the edge of U District uh, or no? You're on F- the edge few of blocks, Ravenna. right? 
few blocks up north of Ravenna. A few blocks south is like the edge of U District, or no? Are we yeah, got to go another mile? Is Ravenna, and then you go down the hill, and you're in Northgate. Mm-hmm. Well, are we, we're mm-hmm. kind of close to Northgate yeah. neighborhood too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Head west. A few different yeah, head west. You're in Northgate. Yeah. Head south. You're in U District. Yeah, exactly. Right. Not too far away from the Fifth Ave. Exactly. So when you ask me where we're at, I'm going to say. Welcome to Wedgwood. If you lived here, you'd be home now. That's right. And That's you could, right. You could probably drive your drone over to Old Fifth Avenue. I could. And it's that kind of party. Wedgwood's pretty much the only neighborhood we've been to so far that's straight residential. There are some businesses to support the neighborhood, but you wouldn't call it a tweener, which in no. dim lights parlance is a neighborhood that is also on an arterial. So even if you don't live here... You drive by, you drive mm-hmm. through here every day on your way to your final destination. Well, speaking of residential, I mean, this place just like fits into the residential and neighborhood. It's, it's a freaking house. We're, we're in a freaking yeah, house. We're in a house. Right? It's a yeah, house. We, we just have a bar in the corner. Right. <laughs> That's right. And so, uh, but if you're in Wedgwood, this is your final destination. It is tween something, though. It's tween a bunch of other residential neighborhoods. Um, yeah. South of Meadowbrook. Mm-hmm. Um, north of Ravenna and Bryant, the forgotten neighborhood, Bryant, and Twixt, View Ridge, and Sandpoint to the east. Sandpoint. And Maple Leaf to the west. Aside from the wonderful people that live here and Fiddler's Inn, the most exciting thing about Wedgwood is that we have all been spelling it wrong our whole lives. <laughs> you want to take a crack at it, Bob? Spell Wedgwood. Wedge. Oh, that's where you fucked up. No second E. Mm. W-E-D-G Wood. Are you sure about that? I'm absolutely sure about that. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Mm-hmm. That's weird he, queried, he queried the city planners from 1907, and they confirmed. No as a, second E. As a writer, e. that just gave me like a weird twitch. I know. No yeah. spell, check, sp- spell check is going to say, no, Lou, you're wrong. It's not like the word <laughs> wedge. <laughs> It's not the thin end of the wedge. No. It's it's Wedgewood. It's actually pronounced Wedgie Wood. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, in terms of where we're at, who we we are off to the races. Wedgewood exciting. Well, so, you say um, you asked what the best thing about Wedgewood is. I'd have to say probably this place and Top Hot Donuts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In our last episode, we were in Ballard on Ballard Ave, which is a vibrant commercial strip that's a hundred years old. All brick buildings that are protected on the National Register. Even the streets are made of brick. What's the other most exciting thing about Wedgwood? Uh, A big rock. Gold gold bricks? A big rock. Big rock? A big rock. It's called the Wedgwood Rock, and it's a leftover from the Vashon Glacier. What? Uh, It's down the street. It's 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 about 20 feet high and 75 feet around, and it has been protected from development. Like Ballard, they were really, really, really hot to protect this rock. It's a little sad, though, because A, I never even heard of it, and B, I don't think I've ever seen it. Well, on the way home, oh, I'll, stop I'll by the Wedgwood rocked. Yeah, a little detour. And so uh, yeah. the neighbors fought to save it in the 40s when it was in danger of being developed, and they got their way. And they're like, you can't get rid of the rock. How am I going to tell people what I live next to? Turn left at the rock. Turn left at the rock. All right, exactly. The rock was saved, but not the land around it. And although it's surrounded by houses that were developed in the 40s, the rock remained a destination for picnickers and climbers that used it as a practice rock. 
And then mm. the it's a scrambling rock. It's a scrambling nice. rock. That's right. Class five scrambling rock. <laughs> and in the late 60s, it was a destination for hippies. And ah, it's a smoking rock. In reaction to those dirty hippies, the neighbors started complaining to the police about drug use at the rock. So the city council passed an ordinance in 1969 making it a crime to climb the rock to discourage people from partying there. So you can't climb it, but you can s- still smoke dope around it. That's, that's right. That's perfectly but legal. If you want to climb it, the fine was $100 in 1969. Wow, damn. Which in today's dollars, Maybe it's like a around. $2,000 fine for wow. climbing the rock. So to our listener, if you want to get all hepped up on hippie goofballs and climb the rock, <laughs> don't do it. 100 bucks, biatch. Yeah. And, and now, you could spray paint your ass all over the place, and there's no fine for that. But climb on top of it. Bucks. That's right. And the same woman that called the cops in 1969 still lives there. And she is looking out the window, <laughs> looking for those dirty hippies climbing on the rock. So stay away from I the rock. I got a ring cam now, bitches. <laughs> so uh, what else about Wedgwood? Oh, Seattle's oldest and largest pea patch is in Wedgwood. Okay. Where are you going, pea? And that's another thing I've been spelling wrong my entire life. I thought it was pea like the vegetables you grow there. But it's capital P. I knew that. Mm-hmm. P patch, and, and, yeah. and that stands for Picardo, the family who farmed the land from the 20s to the 60s. It's Seattle, a Picardo patch. Seattle Wait, invented now where did this Picardo? Was this here in Seattle, or where was this exactly? It's in Wedgwood, bitch. You're not Wedgwood. listening. <laughs> so the Picardos were in Wedgwood. Yeah, and the largest original, best. So is Wedgwood the original source of pea patches? That is correct. Everything comes from Seattle. And it's not a pea patch. It's a Picardo patch. Picardo patch. Deal with it. Oh, my God. At at the next party, I'm going to drop Picardo patch and just blow everybody's fucking mind. (laughs) Yeah. Be like, what? Oh. Uh, We're going to get to that. Don't step on it. <laughs> no skipping right. Go ahead, step on it. No skipping ahead. Wedgie Wood. That's yeah. right. It's called Wedgwood because the original developer of this area was a big developer. And he first developed the land to the east on top of the hill. And he said to his wife, Look at this view, dear. You've got a commanding view of Lake Washington. You can see the Olympics to this side. Mm hmm. Um, it's got everything. Can you believe the view from this ridge? I'm going to call it View Ridge. ridge. <laughs> That's right. Super wife, clever. And his wife was like, that is such a boring name. And he go, fair enough, you can name the next one. And she named it Wedgwood after her favorite English China. So in a roundabout way, Wedgwood is named after the potter, Josiah Wedgwood, who started his pottery business 260 years ago and is today remembered as the father of English potters. Huh. And unlike the neighborhood... I'm dropping just, that in the next party, too. Unlike the neighborhood, Josiah, Josiah Wedgwood is super interesting. His grandson is... Charles Darwin. What? Man, you what? Get the fuck out of here. Wait, wait, wait. The guy's name was Josiah? Josiah Wedgwood. So with a name like Josiah, he's got to be interesting. No, totally. That dude's got some stories. His grandson is Charles Darwin, and Josiah pioneered many common sales techniques used today, such as direct mail... Money back guarantee, free delivery, celebrity endorsement, illustrated catalogs, and B O G O. 
What? He invented that? Yep. Did he patent it? I think so. Good man. Brad, tell Good our man. listeners what BOGO stands for. I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> Someone tell Wow. Brad. Bring him into the 21st century. Buy one, get one. Buy one, get one. Bogo, free, buy one, sucker. get one. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. There should be an F on the end then. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and also, he was granted permission to style himself Potter to Her Majesty. Oh. After Queen Charlotte. Is he, a, is he knighted? He is not knighted, but oh. Queen Charlotte took a shine to his work. And after that happened, Wedgwood collections graced the tables of many monarchs and heads of state. And the most famous of his pottery. I don't see any Wedgwood china. I don't see anything here at the table. All right, let's go. The most famous of his the most famous of his pottery innovations is an unglazed fine stoneware called Jasperware. Jasper. It came in six. Wait, Bob, you knew that? It came in six unique colors upon which raised reliefs were placed. Most iconically, white magnolia blossoms. Why have, one of those why six have you colors not dropped this knowledge before? That's a yeah. Show it to Brad. That is Wedgwood blue. Oh, okay. we got to post. We'll post some pictures on social yeah. because it's super relevant. Uh, uh, and any any dive bar aficionado will be like, oh, why the fuck do I give a shit about this china? That's right. One of those six colors, a soft blue, took off and inspired other designers to use it in home interiors, lifestyle, fashion. And most recently on the Netflix show Bridgerton. Anybody oh, here watch Bridgerton? Absolutely. Brad, does your wife watch Bridgerton? Yes. Of course. Bridgerton is about a high society family in London, and the fictional family's signature blue is Wedgwood Blue. The production designer said with, that he wanted with two the or no. <laughs> the production designer said that he wanted the set of the home to be like being inside of a piece of Wedgwood ceramic with all those beautiful, beautiful soft blues yep. and lots of creams. So now that you know, you'll Mission see successful. It. Yeah, when you're yeah. looking at paint samples or you're buying that sweater online, looking at the colors, you might see Wedgwood blue. Um, Wedgwood blue. I, I would have to say the last sweater that I bought was Wedgwood blue. Yeah, nice. absolutely. <laughs> no, um, no. I actually brought a Wedgwood blue sweater. It's in my bag. I, I was going to put it on, but... oh. I didn't put enough deodorant on it. It's like the kind stinks. of blue that you would paint a baby's room in. A little darker. It's like a little Maybe darker a little than baby bit, blue. Yeah. Lou, exactly. Lou had it's a kind of a wedge, satin finish. Lou had a Wedgwood blue sweater vest. Let's be clear. <laughs> uh, I'm not judging. I'm just, you know, clarifying. So aside from Fiddler's Inn or uh, um, The Rock, why else? Why do you come to Wedgwood, Jeremy? Well, I mean, like, like we said, just down the street, Top Pot Donuts. Uh, it's a nice, nice little um, shortcut over to Sandpoint. Lots of cool shit at Sandpoint. Uh, there's some pretty much like uh, some other dive bars we've been to. There's some uh, good uh, grocery stores and hardware stores. Nice hardware just down the street, like we talked about before. So I believe there's, there's plenty of shit in this neighborhood. Although, but you're absolutely right, though. It is very, very much a residential neighborhood. Right across the street, bunch of houses. Across the other street, bunch of houses. We are tucked in a bunch of houses. And yeah. like we said before, we are essentially in a house. Yes, it's a cool dive bar, but it's it's very much architecture is a house. Big-ass windows and stuff all over. Bob, why have you uh, come to Wedgwood in the past? <laughs> you, you went to The Rock? No, I 
I like to go to Wedgwood, stick it to the man, and climb the rock. <laughs> Fuck that hundred dollars. That's right. Come and arrest me. There you go. No, I I never come to Wedgwood. I mean, there's there's nothing here. Fiddler's Inn. That's really about it. Um. Well, <clears throat> no one's gonna ever... pretend you didn't say that. Yeah. This is an awesome neighborhood. Oh, it's a great neighborhood. I just yeah, don't like. It's a wonderful neighborhood, but if it's not your final destination, there's nothing to draw you in. You wouldn't, yeah. yeah. If you're not coming to Fiddler's Inn, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I wouldn't mind living here. Actually, it's it's a cool, cool little place. But yeah. Yep. And I'm proud of you guys. No one in this whole podcast went Beavis and Butthead on the name Wedgewood. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to wedge my wood into that. Nothing. Come on, yeah. guys. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's uh, the the one listener who will appreciate that reference. Everybody else will be like, "What the fuck are these guys talking about?" <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at. Well, what else we got, Brad? We don't have much, but shit, we got to get going, man. Yeah, we're gonna get gonna be out of here. here soon, so yeah. I think we should probably knock it on the head here. But before we knock it on the head, let's do a little housekeeping. Brad just posted a new article on HistoryLink.org. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, about Seattle's first drug problem. Yeah, the first Tell drug epidemic. Uh, yeah, I just wrote an essay for HistoryLink about the first drug epidemic in Seattle uh, between 1880 and 1925. There were factories up in uh, Victoria that were cranking controlled out. by the British. They were cranking out processed opium, uh, particularly a processed version of opium known as Chandu that were popular in the opium dens. It was smokable opium. So this fuel... It's kind of like the crack of That's right. Opium. It was definitely yeah. like the crack epidemic. 19th century yeah. crack. And up and down the West Coast, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, there were an abundance of these opium dens that were being fed this Chandu from these Victorian opium factories. At the same time, pharmacies, you could go into a pharmacy and basically buy any kind of narcotic medication over the counter. There were also the first- opium, heroin. Yeah, you could just buy it over the counter. And then there were these early cocaine syndicates that opened shop in Seattle. They disguised themselves as uh, messenger services and people would call in on the early first telephones, place their order, and they'd send a messenger, either on foot or on. Yeah, you bicycle. want some opium? Yeah, forget about it. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was Seattle's. Right. Uh, it was the first drug war in Seattle. Um, yeah, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's available on History Link. So if you're available, if you're interested in like early Seattle vice, it's, it's worth checking out. And it, well written. It's a fantastic article, and there's all these illustrations of. Early opium kits and opium tins. It's a fun one to write. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Triple chamber opium water bong. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the vapes. All right. Yeah. So you guys ready to uh, knock it on the head? Well, another housekeeping so. uh, note real quick. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Spotify just released a whole bunch of new interactive features for podcasts, which is pretty cool. So keep your eye out for some uh, like some survey questions, some interactive capabilities uh, on Spotify. Mm. So check it out on, uh, on okay. Spotify. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Good job. Like, Look, subscribe and click and whatever the fuck you do Look, on Spotify. Look, we're being professional now. <laughs> <laughs> Please uh, ask. Absolutely. Yeah. iHeartRadio. Yep. 
We're on iHeartRadio. We are. Yes. We're also on. Uh, we're also on Odyssey. Odyssey.com and the Odyssey app. Shout out to Odyssey. Not an official sponsor, but they could be. Mm-hmm. Hip, hip. That's right. So when you're listening to the Bill Simmons podcast in KJR Seattle, fuck them. Fuck them. Team Lights is right next to you. (laughs) Please do follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, you know, drop a comment. If you like what you hear, let us know. Absolutely. uh, We like to hear from from the listeners. But above all, smash the like button. Smash it. Smash it. Smash that shit. We got a pilot in development at NBC, so maybe a <laughs> Thursday night must watch television. A couple movie deals right in the works. Coming soon. Coming soon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right after Friends. All right. Let's knock it on the head. They're about to start fiddling here and kicking off. So, uh, From the Fiddler's in and Wedgwood. Yeah. Wedgiewood. Satan's Pilgrims, take us out. Thanks, everybody.